We are called to live faithfully for Jesus 168 hours a week. Welcome to the Faith 168 Podcast with Brandon and Chris. Welcome to the Faith 168 Podcast, a weekly faith-filled podcast that aims to inspire and encourage you on your walk with Christ. Each episode is designed to explore different aspects of Christianity, from biblical teachings to personal testimonies that all help you to deepen your understanding and relationship with God. So whether you're a new believer or a seasoned Christian, our podcast is a place where you can feel supported, challenged, and empowered. So join us every Friday as we delve into the Word of God and share stories of faith, hope, and love. Thank you for tuning in to the Faith 168 Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm here with my co-host, Brandon. Brother Brandon, it is always a pleasure to record another episode with you. So glad to be talking to you today, brother. Go ahead and introduce us to the topic at hand today. Well, brother, it's good to record with you as well. And today is Good Friday, as you know. And so that's what we're going to be talking about during this episode. And specifically, we're going to be focusing on what it is exactly that makes Good Friday good. Mm -hmm. It certainly seems like a contradiction, doesn't it, to refer to Good Friday as good, since it was on this day in biblical history that the Lord of glory was mercilessly crucified on a Roman cross. Mm -hmm. This was the fateful day when our Lord Jesus Christ himself hung as cursed on the very tree which he created. But as we shall see, his great suffering accomplished eternal good for all of us. Right. And what we're going to do in this episode is turn to a portion of Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 15, where Mark gives us an account of the crucifixion. And we're going to unpack this passage together and see how Christ indeed accomplished eternal good for sinners like us. And we'll answer that question about what makes Good Friday good. Right. And we're going to begin looking at Mark chapter 15, uh, looking at verses 21 through 22. The whole passage is Mark 15, 21 through 32, if any of you listeners want to follow along. Let me start by reading those first two verses. Mark says, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. Mm -hmm. Now what you've got going on here is Jesus is very weak at this point. He's too feeble to carry his own cross to the place of execution. And we should mention here a lot of other things have taken place prior to this. Mm-hmm. In verses 16 through 20, you see Jesus being mocked as the Roman soldiers place on him a purple cloak and a crown of thorns. Prior to that, you have his unjust trial where Pilate questions him and Barabbas is released in exchange for Christ. Mm-hmm. Earlier in Mark chapter 14, we have the betrayal and arrest of the Lord where Peter so famously denies Christ three times after saying he never would. And so a lot has happened to the Lord Jesus leading up to this point. And in verses 21 through 26, as he makes his way 
or 21 through 32 rather, where he makes his way to the cross. That's really the climax of all this. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been flogged. He's been unjustly treated. He's been betrayed. But this is the climax where he finally goes to the cross. Right. And we see at the very beginning that he is already too weak to even carry his own instrument of death to Mount Golgotha. Mm-hmm. He was just simply too feeble to carry this heavy crossbeam up to that place. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. It's really a, an astonishing picture here, isn't it? Because this is God in the flesh. Right. Right. This is not just some ordinary man. Right. This is the same God-man who raised the lame, healed the sick, cured the blind, fed the hungry, and even raised the dead. Mm-hmm. And in this moment, he was fragile and faint. Mm-hmm. The Lord God, who needs nothing, needed help ascending Mount Calvary, where he would be crucified. And again, it seems so contradictory, even blasphemous, perhaps, to use adjectives like this to describe Jesus. Adjectives like feeble, weak, and frail. But this was just his pitiful state as a man who'd undergone extreme physical agony. And he, he did this for us. This is a picture of the gospel. He was almighty God, to be sure. 100% truly God. But in this moment, he set aside all of his divine rights as God and all Mm -hmm. of his brilliant divine glory to be humiliated and to die as a criminal in the eyes of both Rome and God. Mm -hmm. And his temporary and humble exchange of might for weakness is portrayed here, again, as we see him being... uh, in need of assistance for carrying his cross. And so this fellow Simon of Cyrene is just minding his own business. Mark said he's coming in from the country. He's probably roaming around outside Jerusalem and nearby areas because of the Passover, the recent Passover. And he just seems to be the right guy for the job to help Jesus carry his cross. Right. And he's mentioned here, and in the parallel accounts of Jesus' crucifixion in the Gospels, but... Really, he doesn't seem like too important of a biblical character because nothing else is mentioned about him in all the scripture. Again, he's simply a passerby, an otherwise unknown character who becomes famous for literally fulfilling what Jesus said in Mark 8.34, mm-hmm. where he commanded, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. And Simon of Cyrene was literally doing that. And... What we should say um, is very noteworthy about Simon here is the inclusion of his son's names. You see that Mark says he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Like we know who they are, you know, like he he just assumes we've heard of these characters before. Well, we really don't know who they are, especially Rufus, until we read Paul's letter to the Romans. Because in Paul's letter to the Romans, he mentions Rufus in chapter 16 as a member, a faithful member of the church at Rome. Mm -hmm. And this is an interesting note because it's likely that Simon, his father, was eventually converted in large part because of this experience of carrying Christ's cross. Right. And what he probably did is taught his two sons, Alexander and Rufus, what it really meant to carry your cross and follow Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, even in the carrying of Jesus' cross... The Lord God was accomplishing the salvation of men's souls 
by etching this horrific scene in Simon's memory. Right. That way he would lead his children to the Christ whose cross he carried. Mm -hmm. A beautiful picture of God's sovereignty and grace. But of course, what is far more notable than the man who carried the cross is the man whose cross it was. Mm, And this scene of Christ's humiliation could not be more tragically ironic. He's compliant here in having Simon carry the cross for him, the cross that will lead to his death. And this crucifix was carved from the same tree that Christ himself created. There's a lot of paradoxes going on here. And adding to the grimness of this scene is the place where Jesus was crucified, which Mark says in verse 22 was a place called Golgotha. Now, this was a horrible place, a dark and grim location that was named such because it resembled the appearance of a human skull. And by the way, that's why we often refer to it in everyday language and in hymns as Mount Calvary, because the Latin word uh, calvus means scalp or skull. But in any case, this was an eerie location. No place for holy God. No, No place for the sinless Son of God. But again, this is the gospel paradox piercingly present, isn't it? Yes. This is the exact place that God had ordained for Christ's death. Mm-hmm. Something else we should note is that Golgotha was well beyond the bounds of Jerusalem. You know, Jesus was betrayed and arrested there, but when they led him to Golgotha, they led him away from Jerusalem to be crucified. So he's outside of this town where he preached and performed many miracles and 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 taught biblical teachings. But you know, there's a sovereign reason for this, the fact that he's led outside of Jerusalem. And readers of the mostly unknown book of Leviticus would recognize Mm -hmm. uh, why it's so important that Jesus is led outside of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Because you may may remember that in passages like Leviticus 16, uh, where God gives instructions regarding the scapegoat, that the scapegoat was commanded to leave the camp of Israel. Right. See, Aaron the priest was commanded to lay all of Israel's sins on a goat, to confess them over this goat and then send it as far away as possible. And that's pretty much what Jesus is doing here. Mm -hmm. All of our sins are being laid on Christ as he is being cast outside of the camp of Israel, cast outside of the holy city of Jerusalem. And so what does all this portray for us? What do these opening two verses tell us? Well, quite simply this. Jesus, the Lord of life, was on his way to die. And while he received much needed assistance in carrying his own cross, when he would be on that cross, he would receive no assistance at all. No help whatsoever as he drank the cup of the wine of God's wrath in full. And we'll see that portrayed in the next couple of verses as we turn to those. But Chris, before we do that, do you have anything to add to these first two verses? Well, I don't know. (laughs) You kind of given me a hard job here. You took (laughs) just about everything you can say on that. and, And I think all I can do is really reiterate and maybe add a little bit to what you've already said, but I think it's interesting to to look at this as we see Jesus throughout scripture. This is God in the flesh. And though he's mm-hmm. man, we, we really see this 
you know, power to him, the supernatural side throughout scripture. As you said, he's calling people forward from the dead. He's, he's making right. the blind to see again and healing the sick all around. And, and so we really see this, this weakness right here out of nowhere that, that we haven't seen this whole time. And, uh, my, my grandfather, he, uh, wrote this play called the Christos. And uh, I remember him telling the story about this little kid who was watching and watching the character of Jesus go across and he was so loving and he was helping everyone and he was healing everyone. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like Jesus was just like this superhero. And then when Jesus was crucified, the kid was horrified. He just, Mm. he couldn't understand how Jesus uh, got to that point, but of course right. he was so excited in the end when Jesus rose from the grave and uh, came back uh, to promise us new life. That kid just jumped up and started shouting for joy. But, but you're right; it, it seems like this this strange thing to see God in the flesh, right? Seemingly falter, seemingly become weak, and and uh, there there's a really big point I think in that is that sin was man's mess. So who had Mm -hmm. to clean it up? Man. Mm -hmm. And and so Jesus, we see all throughout scripture, though he is a hundred percent God, he is also a hundred percent man. He walked this world. He succeeded where we failed and he was worthy to go and be the perfect sacrifice for us where, you know, bulls and goats and whatnot. They just didn't cover that. And no high priest could make this sacrifice on behalf of man. Right. Jesus, he came into this world as a man. And at this point, as he's walking to his death, took it as a man, felt that weakness Mm -hmm. as a man, that, that pain as a man, because he was taking on man's sin. And and I remember Romans chapter five, verse 19. It's a very outstanding verse in understanding exactly what Jesus was doing. But it says, for by the one man's disobedience, that being Adam who sinned and passed on that sin nature to all mankind, the many were made sinners. But so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And so we see that man made a problem. Man had to clean it up. Jesus took on this time right here as a man. Didn't didn't seek heavenly help. Didn't call the angels to right. tend to him. Didn't heal himself as he was walking to the cross, but took every ounce of pain he could. And we'll see a little bit more about that as we continue to read through this. But we also see Simon doing a physical act that has very deep spiritual implications, which mm-hmm. you kind of noted at, but Matthew 16, 24 through 25, just this Simon took up this cross for Jesus. Jesus has already talked about how we were going to have to take up a cross as Christians. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And we got to understand, too, that when Jesus said that, he wasn't walking to the cross. 
You know, right. he, this he's talking to his followers who want to see some type of success, want to see the Messiah reign. And he's saying, instead of being seen as these glorious people here in this world, you need to take up a cross. And the cross was a sign for death. It was a sign for criminals. You just didn't die on the cross. And, yeah. and you know, for no reason, they put criminals on the mm-hmm. cross. And so he's saying that that to follow him, you're going to, to have to take up this cross. The world is going to come against you. The world's going to treat you like criminals. But not only that, to follow him, you're going to have to follow in his footsteps and experience some of the things that he's experiencing throughout scripture. Uh, and, and we see that, you know, persecution. Uh, we might not see it in the same way uh, as the, the disciples did and Jesus did here in that moment. But he said, there's going to be times of persecution where people revile you. Uh, and we see that Jesus went through all the persecutions here in this moment, just as Brother Brandon was bringing up, that they mocked him. They tried him unfairly. Uh, they, they released a, a murderer, a vile man, and, and put him in prison. They, they beat him, and mm-hmm. now they're going to crucify him. So if there's someone that understands any type of persecution, it would be Jesus. But yeah. the spiritual call to follow Christ is to deny yourself. Don't think about your your comfort. Don't think about your desires, but take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. And that's what will save your life because that will lead to eternal life. But if you choose to save your life here in this world, to live comfortably, to not take up that cross, just think of the implications that would have happened if Simon hadn't have been there or had refused to take up the cross. We might not have seen Rufus's name in Romans That's chapter true. 16. So it's very important that when you get that call to take up your cross and follow him, don't ignore it. Do it. Take up your cross and follow him. But we go on in verse 23, continuing on in Mark 15. And they offered him wine and mixed it with myrrh, but he did not take it. And so, you know, a lot of people have many different ideas exactly what this means, but there is a very clear understanding of, of what this was. But they they were trying to alleviate a little bit of the pain. Yeah. It, was, it was a brutal process, and even though uh, it was a brutal process, I guess, you know, sometimes the people that were crucifying the people on the crosses had a little bit of a heart and wanted yeah. to make life easier. But this is one of the most horrible tortures a man could go through. Not only are you suffering from the bruises and the lacerations from the whips and the utter humiliation, but every time that you sag down on the cross, you're starting to suffocate in your right. own blood. And then when you push up off the cross, you're pushing up off of these feet that have a nail pierced down in between them. And you're pulling up on your wrist that have the nails in there. So it's it's the most painful thing you can think of. And I'm sorry to be graphic, but we need to really see this pain that Jesus went through. Right. And yeah. as he's going through this pain, they offer him a way to get out of the pain. And what does he do? He doesn't take it. He denies right. it. 
And it's because, again, we're going back to that thing as a man. He was taking on everything as a man. And, and his body was failing him. Uh, you know, he was about to lose his life. He knew what was going to happen. And he could have taken a little bit of that pain relief right there. But instead, he said, I came here for a reason. I am here to die for the sins of mankind. And this isn't meant to be comfortable. I am supposed to feel this on behalf of all mankind. And that's him showing how much he loves us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't take any easy way out. But right. he took every whip. He took every beating. He took every insult. He took all of that humiliation. And even when he was offered a little bit of relief, he said, I love them so much that I'm not taking anything. I'm taking it all on for them. Mm. And that reminds me of Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And, and, and we see this passage as, you know, a future prophetic understanding of, of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. It pleased God to crush him, to mm. go through all of that pain, something completely horrific that we now call Good Friday because he took on the wrath of God that we deserved and he didn't give up one ounce of it. And he had a chance right there and he said, no, I'm taking Amen. it all on. You got anything to add to that, brother? Yeah, I think uh, you're pointing out that this cup of wine mixed with myrrh was a primitive narcotic, you know, mm -hmm. uh, this wasn't the soldiers or whoever it was that offered it to him trying to mock him. Exactly. Like you say, they didn't have much of a heart when it came to putting criminals on a cross, but it was meant to deaden the pain, you know, mm -hmm. to provide at least some mercy right. to these crucifixion victims. And Christ refused it, as you said, because he knew he had come to die to fulfill the agonizing redemptive plan of God in full. Mm -hmm. But I must say, isn't it stunning that this wine is said to have been mixed with myrrh? Right. Now, where do we first see myrrh in the Gospels? Yeah, at the, at the beginning of, of his birth, it was brought to him. Yeah. yeah, it was the very gift that was presented to Christ Jesus when he was a toddler. Right. One of those gifts that the wise men brought to him. And it's so ironic now, as a 33-year-old man on the cross, it is presented to him as a substance of relief for his mm -hmm. pain. Wow, yeah. And I think it's intentional that we're taken back to the Christmas story in the midst of this crucifixion story. You know, this is telling us that the God who assumed flesh and was born as a helpless babe on Christmas Day, he came into this world for this very purpose. Mm -hmm. This this scene at the cross takes us back to that dirty manger to remind us of why Jesus came to the earth as a baby and then lived as a man, right. namely to die. Mm -hmm. And again, Christ refuses the relief he's offered here. Again, he is prepared to fulfill God's plan in full here without any relief. And by the way, this fulfills his own words that he spoke during the Passover meal. Mm -hmm. You'll remember in Mark 14 that he 
had this meal with his disciples and he gave, gave them this promise after instituting the Lord's Supper. He said, truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so this is calling back to that promise. He's saying, I'm not going to drink this wine again until I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Right. But you know, it's interesting when you think about the substance of this drink that he was offered, it, it really matters very little in comparison to the rich symbolism being conveyed here. Right. Because while Jesus refused physical wine, he was drinking spiritual wine on Calvary's cross. Mm-hmm. the bitter wine of God's wrath against sinners. Mm-hmm. Yes, That is a cup he didn't turn away. In fact, he made a decision in the Garden of Gethsemane to drink the cup of God's wrath in full. Now, he did pray, basically, if there's another way, Father, then, then let it be done. Let this cup pass from me. But at the end of that prayer, at the end of the day, he said, not my will, but yours be done. And so he accepted drinking that cup of wrath on our behalf in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he followed through with it on the cross. Now, at this point, with Christ being on a crucifix and being depicted in very harrowing terms here, and it's, it's hard to imagine how this scene could grow any darker. But with every verse, as you go further and further down through this passage, it becomes darker and darker. And we especially see that as Mark next portrays Jesus as naked on the cross. Mm-hmm. Naked on the cross while Roman soldiers play a game for the possession of his clothes. Yeah, I want us to look at that for a moment and, and read verses 24 through 27. It says, They crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. Mm -hmm. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Again, a very memorable picture here that's full of paradoxes. And what a simple statement that is that conveys so much in verse 24. Mm-hmm. where it says they crucified him. God, God in the flesh, the second Adam, the son of God, they crucified him. And again, further add, adding to the tragedy of this scene is Mark's comment that those standing below him were casting lots for his garments. Christ, he's stripped of his clothing here, becoming a public spectacle of, a spectacle of shame and hum, humiliation. And... Here, he doesn't even have the dignity of retaining his clothing. These soldiers are playing a game for ownership of his garments. And, you know, that helps us to understand Jesus' words in Matthew 8, 20, a little bit better. You know, in, in that passage, Jesus utters this strange statement where he says, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Like, what in the world was he talking about there, you know? Uh, What do you mean he didn't have a pillow? What do you mean he didn't have a place to sleep? Well, Jesus had no home to call his own. Right. And he's saying he didn't even have a place to lay his head. Mm -hmm. He had no possessions to call his own. And here we see not even the clothes on his back. Even when he's buried, we 
we see in the Gospels that he's laid in a tomb that was borrowed. Mm-hmm. And that conveys something very important to us. Namely that when Jesus came to the earth, he didn't come to stick around and stay forever. Right? He, he came right. to fulfill a mission. Mm-hmm. To die for sinners, rise from the grave, and then ascend mightily back to heaven. Yeah. But before that glorious morning on the third day, Mark tells us Jesus was crucified early in the morning on a Friday. And Mark says it was the third hour when he was hung on the tree, which would have been about 9 a.m. in biblical time. And that's important to note, not just for historical reasons, but because according to the next passage, Jesus doesn't actually die and give up the ghost, as the King James Version says, until 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. And you can do the math. It's pretty simple there. That means Christ our Lord hung and suffered on the Roman crucifix for six agonizing hours. And why, we may ask. Why did he hang there in agony? Why didn't he call the angels to his side to rescue him? Well, according to the Romans and Jews, it was because he claimed to be king of the Jews. Mm -hmm. That was the inscription engraved above his head at the top of the cross. He was guilty in their eyes of insurrection and political rebellion. Now, those of us who are living on the other side of the cross, who are living after these events, we know that there was a greater reason for his hanging there. That in fact, he was innocent of insurrection and political rebellion. No, he was there because he was paying our sin debt in full. Mm -hmm. God was charging him as a guilty criminal in our place. And quite frankly, that is a charge much greater than being charged of insurrection or political rebellion. Paying for our sin debt is the weightiest charge that that he could possibly pay. Mm -hmm. And he did this for us. You know, Paul talks about this in Colossians 2, 13 through 14, where he says that God forgave us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Amen. Yes. A beautiful thing. And and this very fact is portrayed also by the only company that Jesus enjoyed while he suffered on the cross. Mm -hmm. And Mark tells us that the only company he enjoyed was being crucified between two robbers, between two thieves, Mm -hmm. one on his right, one on his left. And we don't know who they were. You know, he... Mark doesn't give us information about them like he did Simon of Cyrene and his children. We do know that they mocked him along with the crowds, according to verse 32. Mm -hmm. And we also know that one of those robbers had a change of heart, didn't he? Yeah. (laughs) And he asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. And Christ promises him, today you'll be with me in paradise. At the right time. Just at the right time. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Good thing he didn't wait too much longer. Yeah. Um. But, you know, what's, what's significant about this? Why, why does Mark point this out, that Christ was crucified beside these two sinners? Well, here's what's significant about that. These men had sin in them. They'd committed great trespasses. Mm-hmm. Christ had not committed any sin whatsoever. Right. But while they had sin in them, Christ had sin laid on him. Yeah. They deserved to die for their crimes. They were guilty. They had violated the law. Mm -hmm. Christ was sinless and deserved to live. But again, this is the beautiful paradox of the gospel. 
that all of our sins, including those of the robbers, were laid on Christ as a substitute. Yes. And that's a very beautiful thing. Yeah. Now, now one would think after all Jesus had been through, at, by this point, he would at least be left alone to die on the cross. I mean, wouldn't that be some mercy just to leave him there, let him, let him breathe his last? Mm-hmm. Well, the satanically inspired religious leaders were insatiable and they couldn't even let, let that be given to him as a mercy. Mm-hmm. Because they and Satan both thought that they had won in crucifying the man that had given them so much trouble over the past three years. Yeah. And that's why we see them chiding and blaspheming Jesus even as he dies for their sins. Yeah. And we're going to turn to that now. Brother Chris, take us to that part of this passage. Yeah. Uh, and and I'd, I'd add to, to, to all that you just said that of the three people that were, that we know were crucified that day, there were two that definitely deserved it. And as you said, one that was taking it all on. Right. uh, That that's what Jesus came for. If you go back to Mark chapter two, verse 17 says, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came Hmm. to call not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so that right. was in reference to a complaint about Jesus sitting down with sinners. That's who he came mm. to save. And he looks to his right and he looks to his left and he says, those are the people I came to save. He even mm. says at one point as the Romans are crucifying him, as people are making fun of him and, and uh, telling him to do all these different things and then poking fun at him, he says, forgive them father, I, uh, for they know not what they do. He came to save them. And I think what you're saying is hitting the nail on the head that the two robbers that were up there, they were up there because they had sin in them. And then Christ, he was having sin laid upon him. And that's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus, that middle cross that he didn't belong on, that was our cross. Right. That's that's where we deserved to be, but he took it so that we would never have to experience the wrath of God. And here's what they did to him as he hung up there, verse 29 through 32. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priest and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And so we see, as, as Brother Brandon was just saying, that even as he was dying on the cross, up to the point of his death, the world still mocked him. Right. And and they they did this thing too. They they challenged him. Mm-hmm. They they challenged him to to prove himself, which was something that happened many times. He would walk through and he would perform these miracles. And after performing miracles in these different various cities, people would eventually say, uh, Show us a sign. Show us a sign. 
so that we may see and we may believe. And I believe that even as they were chiding him, that they really wanted to see if he was really about what uh, he mm-hmm. claimed to be about. But there was a simple misunderstanding there. He was about what he was talking about this whole time. He was committed to his purpose as he walked here in this flesh. They thought it was to be some type of leader if he were the Messiah, but as the Messiah, he didn't come to lead Israel into political prosperity or being the top dogs around the world, but he came to lead sinners into the kingdom of God by taking on their sin on the cross and forgiving them, tossing their sin as far as the east is from the west. And yet here these people are, the people he's dying for. They're mocking him and saying, let us see something. Let us let us see something. And, oh, you can't save yourself. If uh, if you're really the Christ, you know, you could, you could probably save yourself right here. And so this is what our Savior went through for us. And I would encourage you this Good Friday to look at this, to recall this. Let this lead you into the Easter time because we know it's Friday here, but Sunday's around the corner and he's going to come back victorious. But Jesus, God in the flesh, came down in weakness, humbled himself, and took on this death for you, for me so that we would never have to experience death and to not have the respect to recall what he has done for us is unbelievable. Hmm. Uh, I think Good Friday should be every day, really. Take in what Jesus did this horrific Friday, but a good Friday for us. Amen. You got anything to add to that? Yeah, you know, just emphasizing their mockery here it's it's really crazy what they're saying here i don't think they even realize the depth of it um because every mockery that is mentioned here is really ironic you know the Mm -hmm. first one they say you know that christ claimed to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days right right Mm -hmm. and of course what was that a reference to to the grave yeah (laughs) to himself you know yeah in john 2 he said uh, John makes the comment that he was referring to himself Mm -hmm. because he was the ultimate and final temple of Mm -hmm. God's presence. And he's saying this temple, my body is going to be destroyed and I'm going to raise it in three days. Right. And the thing is they're misunderstanding that. And what they're seeing is a depiction of the temple of God being destroyed Mm -hmm. on the cross. So that's one ironic uh, yeah. mockery that they're making here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one is in verse 30 and repeated in verse 31 where they say, save yourself, save yourself. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Mm-hmm. Well, they sounded like Satan in the wilderness when they were saying that. Right. And the irony is that he was saving them mm-hmm. by not coming down from the cross. Right. And in verse 32, the chief priests and scribes say, let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And see, that's one of those insults and mockeries that's repeated. In verse 30, uh, the crowds just say, come down from the cross. And now the religious leaders say, 
come down now from the cross. And so what Mark is emphasizing here through these mockeries is that time after time, Jesus was given ample opportunity to stop this whole process. Yeah. He could have come down from the cross. He was the son of God. He could have called legions of angels to his side to rescue him while simultaneously opening up the earth for all of these enemies of his to be swallowed into the pits of everlasting destruction. Right. So he had ample opportunity to halt this whole process and save and rescue himself and, and avoid all this terrible fate. Yeah. But he didn't. He didn't because he came to die for us and to fulfill God's plan of salvation for God's glory and for our souls. This is a beautiful thing he's doing here. And yeah. it's good for our salvation that he didn't respond to their mockeries by coming down from the cross. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good Friday in a nutshell, right? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> that, that from such a horrific event, event that we have a reason to rejoice that from such a horrific event, we found salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that he loved us so much that he took on the pain, the agony, the humiliation, and he shed every drop of his blood so that you could stand up that you could put your faith in him and have a relationship with the father. Jesus mentioned many times throughout scripture that you had to come to him. You had to come to him. John 14, six, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. That's why he died so that you could be made one with the father once more. So if you're not a Christian today and you're listening to this, I encourage you to take that step of faith and follow him. Don't let this sacrifice be in vain because that's ultimately what you're doing when, when you ignore what he has done, when you reject what he has done. Uh, you're not applying this sacrifice to your life and you'll stand before Christ one day and he'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I mm -hmm. never knew you. And it's not because he didn't know you, because he knows you in your entirety. He knows every hair on top of your head. He knows the darkest desires of your heart. He knows your greatest potentials. It's not that he didn't know you, but you refused to know him. So therefore, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. He died mm -hmm. on the cross so he could say to you, Welcome home, my good and faithful servant. Amen. There's only one person to blame if you stand before Jesus and hear those awful words depart from me, and that is yourself. Don't mm. reject him. Put your faith in him today. And those are my last thoughts right there. Brother Brandon, do you have any last thoughts before we dismiss? Yeah, I'll just wrap us up here. So I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us during this Good Friday episode, and hopefully by now, you can see that Good Friday is indeed good, that Amen. our Lord's crucifixion means our salvation. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 24, by his wounds you have been healed. 
That's Amen. the gospel paradox, but a beautiful one nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we want to thank you for joining us today, but we also want to thank all of our listeners for rolling with us from the beginning. Yes, We passed the one-year mark for the Faith 168 podcast uh, as of April 1st, and we want to thank you for rolling with us, and we look forward to another year of fueling our faith for all 168 hours of the week. And let's pray for God's grace and strength to be given to us to do that, especially during this holy week as we remember our Lord's crucifixion and resurrection. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture before us, and thank you supremely for what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Always keep gratitude in our hearts, Lord, for the salvation he purchased for us. And we pray that you would help us to share this message with everybody we know. And we pray that you might continue to grant us faith to be faithful to you throughout the remainder of this week. And we just are careful to give you praise and thanks for all of your many blessings and how gracious and kind you've been to us. And we pray and ask all these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Faith 168 Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on whatever streaming platform you are using. If you have a prayer request or have a topic that you would like us to cover, message us on the Faith 168 Podcast Facebook page, and we will see you in 168 hours.